This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome back to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison with Paul Gorst and Theo Squires both alongside me this afternoon. Plenty for us to get into after that heavy defeat in the Champions League against Real Madrid. And a few big games ahead for the Reds in the top four, Jace, as they aim to get back into that competition for next season. We will start, though, with Real Madrid, Gorst. We've not had a, a chance on this podcast to speak about that at all so far. It started so well, quickly fell apart for Liverpool. I mean, I don't know whether there's that much that we can learn from it, though, that the same sort of frailties that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, the same sort of positives that we saw in the couple of games before in terms of the attacking. What did you make of the game overall? Were you that surprised with the way it went? Were you disappointed? What were your sort of emotions at Anfield? Yeah, I think the big the big thing in the build-up to it was can Real Madrid handle the Anfield atmosphere? How will they react to the red-hot, typical European nights that so many teams have folded on that, really? And Real Madrid have kind of gotten away with that in recent years. Obviously, they, they had the game behind closed doors and the only other times they met really were in Kiev and Paris and had that game in 2014, didn't he? When kind of Brendan Rodgers' side with the wheels were starting to come off. So they never really had to face up to that white hot Anfield atmosphere that, as I say, so many other teams have, have crumbled underneath. And you, you question it, it'll be interesting to see how, how Real Madrid react to this. And, and 40 minutes in, you're thinking, okay, well, they're just going to fold like the rest of them. And, you know, it's going to be another glorious chapter in European Anfield history. And then I kind of looked at it after 15 minutes. I was sitting next to Theo and I thought, in fact, I might have even said it to Theo, you know, if there's one team that won't be properly ruffled by this, knowing that you're 15, 20 minutes into a 180-minute leg tie, 180-minute two-legged tie, it'll be Real Madrid. Uh, and so approved. Uh, I thought, it was, you know, the, you can only applaud them the way they got themselves out of that mess and regained the focus and got not only got the got themselves back into the, the game and the tie, but have now made themselves resounding favourites for the second leg. Liverpool shot themselves in the foot at times. The the clearance with Allison was just a regrettable incident, but there was no surprise when it kind of bounced into the net and didn't fly into the cop. That's just sort of what happens to Real Madrid on these these occasions, these events. Um Something I've, I've been meaning to do, actually, but I haven't got round to doing yet, is seeing how, how much Real Madrid led for on their way to the final last season because the games against Chelsea, Real Madrid, Chelsea, PSG and uh, Man City, you know, they, I, I, I don't ever remember them being, having like two hands on, on that tie in, in any of them, really. They, you know, it kind of went it ebbed and flowed in this throughout all of them. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to look at, but you look at it now and you know, certainly they led from most of the second half and Anfield and he was at three minutes into the, the restart at the Militao as free reign to head home. And, and I think that was the turning point, really. Once it went to, to 3-2, Liverpool lost the shape. They started to become ragged and Real Madrid played like the holders of this competition. Um, it's going to be very difficult now in Spain and, and was it three weeks' time, I think. Liverpool are probably best just focusing on on the Premier League, I think now top four is a realistic option for Liverpool, and we're going to come on to the Palace game, I'm sure. But um, it's just a really chastening night, and it's sad really because Liverpool went into that game and you know in Paris as Real Madrid's equals, and 
could have went either way on the night and it didn't. And now what is it? Eight and a half months down the line, Real Madrid are, you know, pretty much the same team that they were. But Liverpool just fallen so far down into the doldrums that they were no match for them, particularly second half. Yeah, I think that was the the big takeaway for me, really, Theo. I remember looking at, at the clock on about 15 or 20 minutes inside Anfield and you thought, you know, even even at 2-0, there's there's a long way to go in this. You could still see that the Real Madrid, like Gorsty said, were completely unflustered by it. And, and it is that contrast, isn't it? It's less than a year since we saw, you know, Liverpool, Real Madrid being equals in Paris. Very much not the, the case now. And the, the second leg, you, you're looking ahead to it now with a bit of trepidation. If they can do that at Anfield, what can they necessarily do at the Bernabeu? Yeah, their experience, it shone through, as we just said there, well, 15 minutes, there's so much football left to play. Like many teams could just say, fine, we'll just sit back, take 2-0 and have all confidence in getting the victory that you need in the home game. Like If Liverpool a few years ago had taken 2-0 against Barcelona, like we saw them overcome 3-0, but 2-0, coming back from Camp Nou, that would have been a positive result and you wouldn't have begrudged Real Madrid from taking a similar sort of approach. Instead, they fought their way back into the game and there are a few turning points there. I think like the way that the second goal goes in... Uh, You'd work so hard and start so well, and you're still finding yourself level because of a goal like that. I think David Alaba coming off, like Salah had him on toast, and then Nacho put in such a superb defensive display at left back, he wasn't really interested in getting forward, and the spaces dried up. And then the, the lackluster mark into the third goal after interval, but what was it goals in quick succession were on the hour mark, and for what training three goals on this side, it was still two hours of football to play. Like they could have just said, fine, we'll lose by a goal and then we'll regroup, go into the Bernabeu. Instead, they were chasing the tie as though it was the final 30, 20 minutes of the tie and they needed to find a way back and it just fell apart. And there were just so many holes in that in that defence, midfield chasing shadows. Whereas Merrimity have run these, this tournament so many times in recent years. Like Liverpool have won it, but they don't have that same maturity as Madrid. And they showed them up both on and off the pitch. Like You can see Real Madrid have been in transition as well. This game was the first time Liverpool played them under Klopp where the midfield hasn't been Modric, Cruz and Casemiro. They are in transition. They are needing to bring younger players in. And that is going to happen again in the summer when you think of how old Benzema is. But the players they're bringing in, they're already doing their overall. Like you see Vinicius Junior, Rodrigo, Shurameni, Camavinga, Valverde. There's so many quality young players there who they've spent significant fees on and they're just ready to carry on success. And it's a daunting task. Like if you're replacing... Modric, Casemiro and Cruz in the midfield when that midfield I think started for like four Champions League finals or something and won them all and you've actually pretty done it quite successfully and they could add Jude Belling into that fair play to Real Madrid's recruitment there because they have played an absolute blinder and got the right players in and you look at that and go well, why have Liverpool had to be in this situation where I know Klopp's come out and said in the press conference today we couldn't do it last year we've had to wait we've had to wait but you've done all your attack in the space of 12 months and now you're going to do all the midfield in the space of a summer and you've got younger players there who aren't ready. Like, Vesetic has been a revelation this year, but no one expects him to be anywhere near that starting eleven in the summer. And you shouldn't be relying on an 18-year-old, needing to rely on an 18-year-old against the European champions. You think, what, Harvey Elliott, not ready for starting midfield in these sorts of games. Curtis Jones, Fabio Carvalho. And he plays out of form, players aging, players injury-playing, players out of contract. It's like Liverpool... If they wanted to stay on top over the last few years, this is stuff they need to address whilst they're on top. They haven't, so they've had to take these couple of step backwards. Real Madrid, they've addressed these issues whilst on top, and that's why Mike Elton leads to this year. But you want better against the Belgrade, get another Champions League title. 
Yeah, that's the the plan, isn't it? To to kind of get back to to that level, Liverpool are going to have to do a, a good number of of things. But just to to sort of touch on a couple of the positives, Gorsi, I thought that the first, obviously, the the couple of goals that they scored. We have talked a little bit about this when you think of the the Newcastle game and the Everton game. That the attacking seemed to click back into a little bit of gear again, and you know the, the Darwin Nunez finish, the Salah pass, Cody Gakpo had a good first half. There were there were some good signs to take, even if ultimately the, the frailties did end up sort of showing through. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, definitely. I think so. Nunez was quite good actually before before he went off. Um, his finish was just audacious, wasn't it? You know, we've seen him that a few times this season for it to put to come off in a Champions League game against Real Madrid against Thibaut Courtois was. Was some finish. Uh, he's up to twelve now, Nunes, um, and it, we're just starting to see the player that we've kind of banged the drill about for a while. I mean, I'll um, just starting to find his feet a little bit. I think now, just off the left, gives the pull so much room to manoeuvre. You know, when they're on the counter attacks and so on, he's absolutely electric. Um, struggling to think of a player I've seen faster than him live, to be honest. Um, and I think I think now he, he he can be looking at the rest of the season thing and how close going to get to that twenty goal mark and you know for all the nonsense that we've had about him from rival fan bases on Twitter and whatever else if he gets anywhere close to that in this debut season he'll look at that as as a fantastic return and I'm just so excited for the player that he's going to be in the future. Uh, Gaffbo, little bit of a of a slow build, build isn't a slow burn. Um, took his goals well, well certainly took his goal against Newcastle well. Um, but yeah, it's it, it they're not really the problem for the Ferrari. We know that it's been a rebuild of, of the attacking options and and the you know they've reduced the age profile and trying to turn Gakpo into a little bit of a Firmino type. And Munez has got the pace to to rival what Mane offered on the left, and and you've got Jota and Firmino coming back, and certainly Jota. I think what is he twenty five, twenty six? Luis Diaz is on the mend. Um, so forward wise, I think Liverpool are okay. It's it's kind of midfield, and and now. Questions are being asked about the defence, aren't they, in terms of how many do they need? I think Canate was a huge miss. Um, I think he has been for most of the season, really, hasn't played much at all, has he? Maybe a dozen games or so. Um, it should be nice to get him back. He was obviously back training this week, wasn't he? We'll see what, what happens with him starting at, at Sellers Park. Now, I, ju- I just worry whether all those injuries to Joe Gomez have, have sort of seen him come on the slide. I was thinking he's still only 25. Um, new contract in the summer, but I'm worried now whether Liverpool can afford to phase him out. If that's not a harsh way of looking at, it. I suppose if you're in Jurgen Klopp's shoes, you've got to be ruthless to an extent. Uh, I think Mass has been in awful form for well since he returned from injury. What was it? Uh, just after the trip to Dubai. Um, so I think there are, there are big question marks for Liverpool at the heart of their defence. Uh, certainly in midfield, we've talked, spoken about that to a blue in the face, haven't we? But I think up top, they're okay for now. Um, we'll see what happens with Firmino. And, you know, if he doesn't sign a new contract and he does leave, then I think Liverpool will need to do something there. Whether they, they will or not, I'm, I'm not sure, given the all the gaps they need to plug elsewhere. But 
Um, yeah, just just the the same old frailties though, isn't it? Liverpool, you know, midfield wise, no slight on Stefan Bissetsch. It's getting kind of outmaneuvered by Luka Modric, but you know, biggest game of his career. And he did well until 50, 60 mark, and then you know, he he tired as, as he tends to do. That may be something that the club will have to look towards, you know, stabilising in the summer, kind of getting him fit enough for, for men's football for ninety minutes of Premier League football because it's, it seems to be a common theme, which is no, you know, no major criticism of him. He gives us gives us all, and at the age of eighteen, he kind of tires, which is, as I say, no major criticism, but something to look at. Um, but yeah, generally there are we know that there are issues for Liverpool to resolve in the transfer market and on the training pitch, but. Like Klopp said in his press conference earlier today, it's just about kind of putting it up, uh, getting through these next 16 Premier League games, is it, and seeing where Liverpool finish and then, and then go from there. Yeah, certainly going to be an interesting summer. Let's talk a little bit about the, the defence course. He's touched on it there, but Theo, I'll, I'll come to you on this one as well. There has been a bit of a, an increasing chat over the last couple of weeks around what they might have to do. Obviously, Joel Matip out of contract not this summer, but the summer afterwards. Joe Gomez, a, a couple of question marks. Even Virgil van Dijk in, in some quarters, there's been question marks, which I think is, is maybe a, a little bit premature. I think there's still you know, a really, really excellent top-level player in him. But it, it is a bit of a conundrum, isn't it, heading into the summer? They've got, obviously, lots of question marks elsewhere, but it does kind of feel like the centre of the defence might have to be something they look at. Yeah, I think it's one where Liverpool's recruitment team approached it. They'd have looked at it as all neat and tidy. And you look at the attack first in 2022, then you move on to the midfield in 2023, and then you move on to the defence in 2024. But they'd have been expecting a bit more legs from some of these players, like the fact that Fabinho and Henderson could have given you a bit more this year, for example, and that Matip and uh, Van Dijk giving you a bit more. Gomez not being so fragile. But there are question marks there, and it has been about revamping this whole squad. It was, uh, I think, Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson said, you get like four years really out of a title-winning side, and then you need to make changes. It might not even be four years, it might have been less than that, but you need to keep it fresh. Players that aren't used to your ideas, so there's that added competitiveness to it. Whereas this Liverpool team's been together since, what, 2017-18, with a, a few tweaks here and there. It hasn't had that massive surgery that some of the great teams have. And just like um, Liverpool fans growing up, you look at United when they were getting rid of your Beckhams and your Van Nistelrooy's and your Roy Keane's and you, you raise your eyebrows at that going, why are they getting rid of such a good player? But then looking back at it now, you go, well, that's why they've made these ruthless decisions because that's what the decisions you need to do to stay on top. Um, we've covered the midfield so many times, four of them be what not contracted beyond the end of the season. You'd say Liverpool two or three. Depends where the Count Bessetic's proper first choice midfielder now you can start every game or when you've got everyone in having more of as a squad player what you see as Curtis Jones's best role we've seen Elliot's best role but they are going to need a number of players in that midfield it could arguably be you're looking for a new starting midfield and they've built a new starting attack could be a starting midfield as well and then the defence I'd, I'd say Joel Matip now is probably the time to move him on like he's had so many injuries in his Liverpool career last year was the best career um, best season of his career for Liverpool and it was the one where he stayed free of injuries but you've got to be looking beyond him now like you can't rely on him to stay fit and he is horribly out of form and Joe Gomez it's just that big dilemma where they said he could be um, they still consider him one of the best English centre-backs around that they can get better and better in the years ahead 
but his confidence at the very least looks shot at the moment. Like he can go from the sublime one minute to catastrophic the next. Uh, and it's he's had quite a lot of game time this year, so it's not as though it's a lack of rhythm that's affecting him. He's just very inconsistent. And it's a hard one to broach because he said before, he said when he was speaking to Doyley, I think, in pre-season, he is still younger than Virgil van Dijk was when Virgil van Dijk joined Liverpool. So hypothetically, Joe Gomez could have six, seven years out of his skin now and be one of the best centre-backs around. But he needs to find some consistency. He needs to find rhythm. And he's just got horrible backlash on him at the moment. Like Liverpool fans, when he came off on, on social media, he was clutching his hamstring. And fans were like, oh, he's out for ages. There was a lot of noise like that. And it's just toxic. It's like, well, he's a young lad who's had so many bad injuries. You shouldn't be wishing bad injury on him again. Like You want to see him playing to the best of his ability. We've seen it a number of times where I suppose the more successful Liverpool have been, the more vocal minority are against certain players. Like Adrian, when he had the Aston Villa 7-2. Uh, and then you think back to when they lost the Champions League final the first time to Real Madrid. Reception Carrius got at Anfield with the Torino friendly. Like, that's, you'll never walk alone. It's that mantra. It's that proper what this the club is about. You get behind these players because these players have contributed to Premier League titles, Champions League titles. It, it might be pretty horrible now how club, clubs playing and players might be coming to the end of the cycle. But if Joe Gomez leaves in the summer, if Fabinho leaves, if Joel Matip leaves, they leave with every winner's medal possible around their neck. They are club icons at the very least even if you don't want to give some of them legendary status we are at the end of the cycle there is a new chapter that will begin so many new players will come in and hopefully we'll see another period of success but there's going to be a point where we look back and lord these players for what they have done well they might not be Stephen Gerrard or the Jamie Carragher's they have delivered so much more in terms of silverware and it's what this club's been craving for for 30 years the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo Just in terms of Gomez Ghosty, I mean, I think for me, the, the way I would look at it is I would, I'd look certainly to move on Matt at first just because of, of the age. And I think if you've got Joe Gomez as your fourth choice centre-back, that's pretty good level for, for a fourth choice. Maybe the issue really this season has been that the others have not been fit. The rest of them around Van Dijk hasn't been in perfect form. I think that there's definitely a case that Joe Gomez still has a long-term future at Liverpool. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, he is for choice essentially, and uh, he's still starting last sixteen of the Champions League against Real Madrid because of largely injuries. You know, Canate has been out, hasn't he, with with that hamstring issue, and and got injured in the uh, friendly, was it against was it Strasbourg? Um, the final game, final preseason game in late July, um, and because of that, he's probably he certainly played. A lot more centre back this season than he did last season. Last season he was very much, you know, a cup player at centre back and we had game at right back I think when he started against Norwich, you know, a little over twelve months ago now. Um I think that was there's some statistic about to be in his first Premier League start at centre back for you're gonna have to go back and check it, but certainly he hasn't played a lot at centre half. Um in the Premier League, but because of, as I say, form with massive injuries to Canate, he's probably played a little bit more than than some would have liked. You know, um, I think at his best, I still, I still think he's, he's a very good defender. But I think 
It's a little bit harsh because he had that massive injury that he picked up with England, but I don't think he's been at his best for when I've been out for three years. Um, since he was partnering Van Dijk from Liverpool in the Premier League. Um, and it's crazy to think that he's only 25 and he, he's obviously just signed a new contract. What was it? August, was it? So he's obviously not someone who's ready for the scrap heap, but you're just wondering now, you know, how... how how ruthless are Liverpool going to be? How ruthless is Klopp going to be? How much room to manoeuvre is he going to get in terms of funds? Um, I wouldn't be... I'd, I'd be shocked if, if Joe Gomez is part of, of the shake-up, to be honest. I think, he's, as you say, he's still young enough to potentially get to somewhere near his best and do that as a third or fourth fourth choice centre-back. So I don't think he's going to be someone who's going to be turfed out on his year because of his poor season. Um, but there's no getting away from the fact that he has had a poor season. Um, there's the con- concentration levels for me. They just seem to go at the wrong time. Um, so he was certainly culpable for for the, the first goal on, on Tuesday night. Um, I didn't think the pass back to Alisson was great. You know, me and Theo were kind of in front of it and it was bobbling up as it was going along. Even though Alisson still had a bit of a nightmare himself. Um, I look back at that goal against Leeds you know only two three minutes into the game and he's under hitting that pass Liverpool 1-0 down and the whole evening changes the atmosphere and Liverpool end up going on to lose that game not putting it solely on him but it's just concentration levels at, at key times that seems to be deserting Gomez this season um, so he's someone who probably will have a question mark against him going into the summer but I think given the amount of has to do elsewhere. I think he might just survive and stay at the club and continue to be a little bit of a kind of uh, defensive right back slash full choice centre half and and the film might look to move on Joel Matip instead. Gomez, he's, he's one of these players that's a bit too nice. Like you want that nasty side to a centre back. You want that leadership there. Someone who can grab it by the scruff of the neck. That's why um there's like Nat Phillips. He's an old fashioned defender. You're not going to see him as a long term option in Liverpool's defence. But you want more of those attributes in it to have that nasty side to him. And Joe Gomez he just doesn't have it. And I think there's a few players in this Liverpool squad where they've had so many years of everyone telling them how great they are because they're winning all these trophies, winning all these games. When things aren't going their way, a few of them sit the bus on the foul, noses out of joint. They don't like the backlash. They don't like the criticism. But there are others where it really affects them. Jurgen Klopp, I think, alluded it to it today, saying they're used to these blips and getting criticism but they're still young players in this squad and what you can tell them ignore social media ignore the media all you like but they're still seeing it and it's like one mistake will lead to two two will lead to three because you can hear the groans when something happens at Anfield or away day and they just wait and scramble they know what's going to happen next and you just need that extra fighting spirit in them to be able to shrug it off because that's what like the best players do what the winners do because they've got that mentality but then Liverpool, these, most of these players haven't had to really endure that for so many years now because they've been so good for so many years. And then going back to what, would you sell in Joe Gomez or not, um, you've got to also consider homegrown status, the club trained status. He is one of the few players in the Liverpool squad who was club trained. So that boosts them for the UEFA European squads. And it's a space that's filled in the Premier League squad. It's something that also applies to Curtis Jones because he's another one who can maybe head drops a little bit when the fans get on his back. They're vital because they fill these um, places in the squad. Over and then a full match day score 
typical European squad and because they are that little bit of quality, you want to see it make those next steps so they're not just depth options. And the longer they're doing this, they are just depth options. I mean, no consistency in what that next level questions. Yeah, I think as you've both said there, it, it will depend to some extent the other stuff that Liverpool have to, to get done this summer. I mean, Jamie Carragher, Ghosty, said earlier this week that you're looking now at maybe four players to come into the Liverpool team. Jurgen Klopp, I think, made reference to a four-player kind of transfer thing earlier today in his press conference as well. Four seems to be the, the number that's been bandied around a little bit this week. Is that is that a number that you'd agree with? Is is that kind of what you would, would like to see, if not necessarily what Liverpool will do in the summer? Oh, I think it's, it's so fun to answer, isn't it? Because your answer depends on probably the most recent thing that you've seen. So if you'd have asked me after Newcastle, I'd have said, ah, oh, now it's all been a little bit overblown and maybe we've, we've you know, chucked the gun a little bit. But now you're asking me and I'm thinking, yeah, it's rip up the team, start again. You know, well, count on one hand, the amount of players you deserve to stay. But you need a little bit of balance. Certainly, you know, as us as, as, as journalists, we need to, to give that balance and whatnot. Um, supporters who can go turning into players and commanding that they're all sold. Um, so I don't know, it's a tough on that. I think Liverpool are going to need a, a summer similar to 2018, um, or maybe a year like 2018 when they brought in Van Dijk in the January, you know, Alisson, Fabinho, Hater and Shaqiri, um, all, you know, Shaqiri's the only one at that time that wasn't the kind of major statements of intent. That was a little bit of an opportunistic one, you know, filled the gap as a squad player and, by and large, he, he did really well. All the others were huge statements, game change and signings were at the end. To be fair, the house of the four have been and, and were certainly had like an Alisson and Fabinho. Um, so do we need something similar, I think? Um, I think Canate and Van Dijk as, as a starting centre-back partnership next season is, is fine. Um, you're not going to get a better right-back than Trent, regardless of how many you know compilations you'll see from rival fans of him being the, the top Elite defender or whatever. Um, they have argued that one, so we'll take away from it. Robertson, you're not getting a better left back than in. Midfield is obviously where the big question lies, isn't it? And you sometimes, you sometimes lie to yourself. Like we've seen definitely the Jets play like six or seven games about consecutively, and you can rate yourself that that's fine. But shouldn't be happening to the you know, Liverpool should have. Experience midfielders who are in form, we were fit and able to, to shoulder that burden. It shouldn't be left to, you know, an 18 year old to be getting legged by Luka Modric or, you know, whoever else was in, in the Real Madrid team. You know, though Camavinga was excellent, obviously, too many would have provided a little bit of kind of an easy little one to look at, look at him and think, here's what you could have won, but he obviously wasn't going on the night. But Real Madrid has been doing what Liverpool have, have needed to do, and they've still got. The brilliance Modric and Cruz came on, didn't he? But they've got Camavinga and Anchor many might feature in the second leg, and, and they have been kind of replenishing when they've needed to, and that's something that they're going to have to do in spades now because they haven't been doing it in recent years. Um, I always hear, I always hear the arguments, and it, it has been mad to be honest. But I hear people on Twitter say Liverpool won the Champions League, and they didn't buy it. The only people they bought was Sepp Van Berg and Adrian and Harvey Elliott. As though that's a criticism. I yeah, I mean, I, I, when you make that argument to me, that you just show yourself up as only being interested in transfers because Liverpool went and won the Premier League for the first, went and won the, the English League title for the first time in 30 years by 18 points. So 
who's bothered who they brought in. You know, if they'd have brought in four top, you know, top players, it might have worked out. They might have finished second that season. So for me, that particular argument never stands up. But I think now, you know, you can't, you can't argue that Liverpool need transfers, need players because where are they in the league eight tonight or whatever, and they're seven points off the top four, and they've just been given a paddling by Real Madrid at home in the Champions League. So you can make these arguments depending depending on results, can't you? And, and that is when they should be made rather than just you know lamenting stuff like like that. Would have just said uh, maybe I'm rambling, maybe I'm not. I don't know. But uh, Liverpool will need to to do some work in, in the transfer window this summer. My worry is uh, the ownership model. It's going to have to be altered slightly for Liverpool to be able to afford to do that adequately. And, you know, it's a breaking the habit of a lifetime there for FSG. Um, some interesting club comments that are coming on the site at 10.30 tonight. Uh, if you listen to this before that, worth probably checking out because I think the club is giving the clearest indication yet that a big summer is, is approaching. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'll give you a number. Um, as a starter, an absolute minimum, it's four. Like they need three midfielders. They need three starting midfielders. And for names that are being linked, if we're saying best case scenario, you get a Bellingham, you get um, Nunes from Wolves, and you get Mason Mount. That still leaves the question: Do you need a number six? And that depends with what you're doing with Fabinho. Now, I know this is going to sound very football managery, but, but then also they need a centre back. The one being linked is the obvious one that everyone wants, Cavardio. That's four. Probably going to need a goalkeeper, let's be honest. Kelleher, wouldn't be surprised if they cashed in on him. Adrian probably goes in a free, so then you could argue maybe you need two goalkeepers. You need your experience, that third choice, unless you've got faith in um, a Pitaluga or a Harvey Davis to step up and fill that spot. You could look at right back and go, is Calvin Ramsey, do you want someone, do you want him to be your, your proper backup right back when he's just had the season that he's had with injuries? Or do you want to turn to Joe Gomez, Milner, if he gets a new contract? Or do you want someone who is an out-and-out proper right-back who can come in and play those games when Trent is not at his best? We have faith in Trent being back to his best. But then this is going up to eight players now. Four is the absolute minimum. And the issue is, if you're saying Bellingham is part of that four, Cavardio's part of that four, you're spending over £200 million on, what, two players there. And this is what Gorsley's just said with the, the model here. Who have they got to sell that can really make this money in? I'll get a bit for Nat Phillips, a bit for Keller, if they go maybe Fabinho or Joe Gomez. I know uh, Mrs. Fabinho has just laughed off suggestions that he's going anywhere on social media this afternoon. Um, but this is what Klopp's got to consider in the recruitment team. And he said that as well. I think this was in the open section where he said, um, it's it was, it was the four-player line. They need to know who's going before they can bring the players in. Um, yeah. There aren't really many players that are going that are going to bring in the fees. So FSG are going to have to dig deep in their pockets and do something they've never done to sort of do this business but we're, we're speculating on this at the press conference as well well the money's got to be there for Bellingham somehow and so them to have waited so long there's got to be something there some reason for them to have held back waiting to do this midfield revamp and they've found the money when they've needed it to get in the Nunes to get in Gapo to get in Diaz we've just got to have faith that it all comes together in the end and this season just turns out to be one step backwards before two steps forward next year Otherwise, it's going to be a two, three-year transition period at best. Also, I think as well, though, I think Arsenal are a good example of, of what can be achieved when you get it right and, you know, in a relatively short space of time. They've gone from 
Ian Absolute also runs uh, the last season for for Arsenal. You know, Liverpool played them four times and tell if Arsenal scored the goal, did they? Um they are now the closest challengers to, to Manchester City and, and some would make them favourites for the Premier League title. They've done that by obviously they've got a coach who, who they've given time and space and he's getting those ideas across, but they've also accelerated with some really smart transfers, you know, Zinchenko, um Jesus, obviously he's been injured for, for quite a bit now, but you know, in the early part of the season he was absolutely flying, wasn't he? They brought back Saliba, I think, you know, be fair to call him like a new player, wouldn't it? So they've been quite smart and they've shown out the progress you can make. And, and they weren't, you know, they, they, they were probably standard fees for, for top players is, is what you call it now. So they're between 50 and 40 million, weren't they? Uh, so it can be done. Um, you don't always have to spend 80, 90, 100 million on, on players who are coming in. And Liverpool have proven that themselves. I've never Lewis Diaz, for example, and we're hoping the Cody Gakpo kind of fills that role as well. Um, so it can be done, but you're just looking at it now thinking Liverpool probably giving themselves too much to do in the space of one summer window. Um, so we'll we'll see. But um, I think Arsenal should, can be looked at as a, as a good example to follow in terms of how your fortunes can change just by getting two or three right in, in the transfer window. Just before we move on as well, quickly, just I'll come back to you on this one, Ghosty, in terms of, of what Klopp said before. Theo mentioned there that the kind of four-player comments and having to know who's leaving before you can sort of bring players in and, and that sort of thing. And I kind of yeah. take Jurgen Klopp's point to, to a certain degree, but then I just think maybe they could have been a little bit more ruthless with one or two of those players. Maybe maybe you don't give the choice to an Oxlade-Chamberlain or a Cater or a player like that that's you know coming to the end of their contract. If you say to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at the start of last summer, for example, look, you're not going to play much next season. Try and find yourself another club. We'll get, we'll let you go maybe for for a bit of a, a cut a cut price fee. You know, the, there are ways in which you can kind of preempt that. He, he kind of said it in a way that was a bit like, well, you know, there's there's nothing we can do. We couldn't move these players on. But you know, Liverpool Liverpool do have to to some degree an ability to do that. They could have been a little bit better with the forward planet. Yeah, it's a it's a double edged sword, isn't it? Because we know Klopp is able to get the performances out of certain players because of that kind of attachment he has with them, emotional attachments and he always says, doesn't he, he likes to be the friend if not the best friend and I think on the flip side of that he has a tough time being ruthless and, and saying, look, you know, you, your time's up here, you have to feel free to look for another club and um, you can move on with, with the best wishes, I think. I, I, I can never think of... Um, an example at Liverpool where he's been absolutely ruthless for someone who hasn't fallen foul of discipline. Mamadi Sacco was, was the obvious one where, you know, for whatever reason, Klopp decided that enough, enough was enough with him. But even even the other way around, I, just, I always remember Nathaniel Klein going alone to Bournemouth mid-season, thinking, well, why have Liverpool have agreed that? The, the short of a, of a, of a sub-right back now. Um, I think it might have been the season, that, the season he won the Champions League, so they were they were well in the thick of a of a Premier League title that with Man City by then, but it was kind of one of what the player wants. So Klopp was happy to agree to it, leaving him leaving the squad a bit short. And and for me that that's not a major criticism from me, but some a little bit of a criticism for for Klopp that sometimes he does does kind of let the player have have what he wants, uh, and maybe that's how you get. That kind of trust with the player and the performance that was out of them, but at times, you know, it, it it can be a little bit of an issue. Like like you say there, that example of Oxley Chamberlain, 
Um, Klopp said early on, I think he, he said it when we spoke to him at the training ground in July, that you know, unless someone tells me they want to leave, then everyone's going to be staying and, and the squad is, is as it is. Um, and that, that was that was how it turned out, wasn't it? So, yeah, maybe that is something where Klopp can, can look to maybe change his ways a little bit. But I suppose, given the success he's had and the the longevity he's had in the game, I suppose he might be a little bit too set in his ways to suddenly become all Sir Alex Ferguson and, you know, kick them out, um, drop them out on the air and, and on the goal. But um, it's just the way Klopp is, I guess, as, as a man manager. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting way of, of doing things. And of course, this summer there won't be that kind of dilemma to, to solve it will just be a case of the contracts are up they've moved on and Liverpool have got to try and find a way to, to replace those players but uh, that is still a good few months away I'm sure we'll talk about that plenty of times before then but we'll move on now to talk a little bit about Crystal Palace we'll kind of throw the, the preview and the team selection together as we sort of talk through the, the teams that we will pick for this game so Theo I'll start with you obviously we know who the goalkeeper will be Jurgen Klopp did say to expect changes in the, the course of, of the next week or so. There's you know three games in a short space of time for Liverpool. So are you going to make any changes across the back four or will it be fairly similar to what we saw the other day? Um, I'd imagine you're going to see a change at centre-back. Um, I think it's probably too soon for Coate. Like he's tread carefully with Van Dijk, Jota and um, Tamino. So you'd imagine him, he's going to do the same with Coate in a couple of sub-appearances before he can really be in a position to start especially after the injuries he's had. So that probably means Joel Matip starts. Um, Gomez was clutching his hamstring when he went off against Real Madrid and Klopp said uh, he didn't really offer an update on Gomez, but he said a few players have knocks. So you imagine there might be a couple of changes here. Uh, maybe James Milner can come in a right-back or Simicas left-back, but I wouldn't make more than two changes. So one of the full-backs put in the, the rotation option and then Van Dijk and Alisson keep their places. Yeah, very similar for, for me, I think, Gorsley. I'm not decided on which of the fullbacks I might change, but it does feel like a game that possibly James Milner might fit into this team somewhat. I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I, I think it might just be a case of shoving out Gomez for, um, for Massa. Um, I don't really... Obviously, they've probably played a lot more over the last couple of weeks than they have been playing across January, but... Um, I don't, other than that, I don't see too many issues of, of swapping out the fullbacks. I still think that they're both vital for, for how Liverpool get something out of games, really, particularly Trent. I've just made my mind up. If you make a fullback change at Simicast, because I think Zaha's back, can we know how Milner gets again? I'll get something against him. Is he, is he back, Zaha? I, I think he so. Out. He's back in training. So if he plays, <laughs> Milner's always a, a, a walking red card when he faces him. So Trent keeps his place. Interesting, yeah, certainly, certainly a big boost for, for Palace that one. Let's move into to midfield then, Gorsty. I, uh, I'm going to make a couple of changes in here. I think it, it seems like the time maybe to bring Stefan Bajetic out of it, yeah. not not permanently, but he did look very, very tired. I thought the last sort of 20 minutes he was on against Real Madrid, he just looked absolutely shattered, which, you know, fair play. I think you, you would be at that age having played that many minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, I think he's only played 15 professional games now, hasn't he? Um, out of the last seven, I think seven or eight, maybe. Um, yeah, it has given him a bit of a breather. I think it's he's been good. Uh, thought he was really good against Newcastle uh, and Everton. Um, but 
take him off the final line a little bit, maybe bring in Naby Keita, Henderson and, and Fabinho. Yeah, I'm going to bring Harvey Elliott into the, the midfield as well. I think maybe Fabinho might drop out, maybe have Henderson as the sixth. Theo, what do you reckon? Um, I'd go with either if you were to. Uh, I think you're, you're right with the players you said to call out with Pesetic and one of the, the two from Fabinho, Henderson with Elliott and Kate, the obvious choices. Um, the fact that Jones and Oxley Chamberlain in the Premier League games aren't making the bench and Artemelo is not making the bench. Be a surprise to see them suddenly leapfrog anyone in the pep in order to get starting games. So it's going to be between Elliot and Naby Keita. If, if we say only one, I'll go along with Gorsties, but I could see, easily see both of them coming in. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure we'll see them across the, the course of the next week or so. I'll stick with you for the attack as well, Theo. Same again. That's what I'm going to go with, but there is possibly an argument for a change in there. Uh, I'd go same again. But then at the same time, I don't know why I've got this like seed in the back of my head that when Pop's talking about Knox and everything, maybe there's something there with Nunes or Gakpo because they came off early against Real Madrid. We know Nunes had the, the shoulder injury against Newcastle. Like, How bad are these injuries? Because he hasn't really said anything. No, and really. Whether it's just rotation because they've had a tough game against Real Madrid or there are a couple of injuries here. We know how Liverpool like I to know. keep it quiet when they can do. Um but if everything's positive, we want to be optimistic. It's the same front three because Firmino and Jota aren't there yet. Cop said that himself, so they're not quite at it. They need the minutes to see it back up to the levels, but it's still a work in progress. And if they're all fit, Gorsi, is it the, the same again for you as well? I don't know. You know, I don't know whether I'd give Jota at an hour. Um, she worries. She worries about you. She has, you know, a couple of cameos off the bench. Still waiting for them to to hit top speed. Um. But I just just won. I mean, Gakpo's played a lot, hasn't he? Since he came in, he's almost had to um, because of the injuries. So I don't know how to just just put Jota in from the off, give him an hour, see how he gets on, and then you've obviously got Firmino and Gakpo or Gakpo to come in and take the pressure off him if needed. So yeah, I'm going to go Jota down the middle and uh, Nunes and, and Salah. Yeah, certainly wouldn't be against that. Let's finish then with our much predictions. I think I'll go for 2-0 to Liverpool. I think they will bounce back. I think they will win. Gorsi, what do you reckon? Oh, um, 2-1 Liverpool. Good stuff. Theo? 2-1 Liverpool. Wins all round then, hopefully. That is the case, and Liverpool can bounce back from that disappointment midweek. We'll, of course, have all of the coverage in all of the usual places for you as well around the game. For now, though, we shall leave it there. Thanks to Paul and to Theo for joining me, and, of course, for you at home for watching and listening along, too. That'll do us, though. We'll catch you. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.